Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. This morning, we are so pleased to have as our in-studio guest, Mr. Robert Starosiak, who is the author of The Bobby Fulton Story, which is our first book of fiction, which I'm very excited about. Robert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Darrell, and thank you for having me. So, Robert, before we jump into this great book of fiction and politics, considering what's going on now with the uh, GOP debates, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your background and your experience, and then we'll jump into the Bobby Fulton story. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a New Jersey guy, um, born and raised. I'm a 1975 graduate of Seton Hall and also hold a master's from Seton Hall as well. Uh, I also have a degree in public administration from, from Rutgers. I uh, started out as a school teacher, actually, an English teacher, and have been working in the brokerage industry for the last 30 years. Uh, the thing I'd like to say, though, which, which is, uh, it kind of blows me away, uh, it's 40 years since my graduation at Seton Hall, and here we are in the year 2015, and I can't tell you how delighted I am to be on WSOU and back at Seton Hall, because when I think about that 40 years have gone by, I don't know where those 40 years actually went, it's, it's really a thrill to be back at Seton Hall and to be on program leadership on WSOU. Well, thank you. And it is such a privilege and an honor to have one of our esteemed graduates uh, to be on the program to talk about this wonderful work, um, wonderful uh, reading that I had over the last couple of weeks uh, in regards to this, this book of fiction. So um, how did Bobby Fulton come about? Who gave birth to, to, to Bobby Fulton? <laughs> well, um, remember, it's, it's a work of fiction, so fiction writer kind of takes things out of his imagination and creates it. But, um, let me just tell you a little bit about the story and then I could get into uh, a little bit more detail. Uh, it is a New Jersey story. So Bobby Fulton is a kid from a small New Jersey town. He gets lucky enough to go to Princeton University. And while he's at the college, he falls in love with politics and, and all the current issues of the day. And remember, this is, uh, this is, uh, he graduates in 1975. So this is in the early 70s. So he finally does graduate and in, in 1975 and he runs a nonprofit group in New Jersey. A couple of years later, he realizes there's an open congressional seat in New Jersey. And he thinks very seriously about running for that open seat. So he enlists the help of a college friend who has been very successful in running campaigns around the country. And the friend agrees that he would help him. And they put together a, a small campaign structure and a shoe, shoestring organization to run for a seat in Congress. Now, what's interesting and difficult about it is that he's running against a four-term New Jersey state senator who is really the heir apparent for that open seat in Congress. The senator's been around for a long time. He's very popular. 
and people know him. He's got huge name recognition. So remember, the senator is a Republican. The main character, Bobby Fulton, is a Democrat. <clears throat> so the party uh, really has no one interested in this seat because they feel that this guy, who has been in the state senate for so long, is going to be the guy who takes the seat. So no one's interested in running in this race. So basically the party puts up Bobby Fulton as a sacrificial lamb to go up against the four-term New Jersey state senator. So the story really is a classic story about David versus Goliath, about how the underdog, in this case, goes against the entrenched political establishment. That is awesome. And and I love the fact that uh, when people go to look at the 16th Congressional District, there isn't one because you made it up. And I, as I said, this is a work of fiction. And uh, you're right, the 16th Congressional District does not exist. Neither does the name of the four-term New Jersey State Senator. One of the one one of the about to say one of the facts, and I can't say that because this is a work of fiction. But it is a fact in regards to the, in the opening of the book. You talked about how the United States changed from uh, one particular type of country to a new country with the election of John F. Kennedy. You talked about going from the uh, the beard the beards and the top hats to the clean shaven. Well, that's true. I mean, the story uh, the story actually opens. The story goes from 1963 when John Kennedy was assassinated to the election of 1980. So the Bobby Fulton election is the election of 1980, the same election where Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter, which was a, a watershed event in America. That was an important part or a time in American politics, because like today, with Donald Trump and all the rest going on, people were looking for change then. They were hungry for something different. But, and then it moves ahead to the future and goes back and forth in time. Without giving away the book, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, time travel in, in the book. But it begins with Kennedy because it really is a book that the baby boom generation, which is my generation, uh, will appreciate of of uh, of how uh, when Kennedy became president, he was really the first modern day president we had. He was the first president, for example, born in the 20th century. He was a president who looked good. He had a beautiful wife. He had a lovely family, and people um, fell in love with the Camelot years with Kennedy. Now, after Kennedy's assassination, change in America started to accelerate pretty dramatically with the Vietnam War, which then escalated uh, with um, many terrible race riots during the 60s, also many riots in the 60s against the Vietnam War. Um, you know, the country was really torn apart. In 1968, um, in April of that year, Martin Luther King was assassinated. <clears throat> Just a couple months later, Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated, John John Kennedy's brother, who was running in the primary for, for the presidency. So the country was really on its heels for a long, long time. And, you know, and then, then it goes and continues on, you know, after, after the 60s. Then we had the election of, of Richard Nixon. And then we had uh, Watergate. And we had, uh, you know, the ending of a terrible war in Vietnam, which we basically lost. And then we had the Iran hostage crisis. So uh, a lot of things 
uh, happen after 1963 that were... Uh, huge changes in the country, and a lot of the changes were obviously very negative. You know, in uh, Chapter 7, there's, there's a quote at the beginning of the, the, the chapter by Oscar Wilde uh, from the picture of Dorian Gray from 1890. I, I want to read that in regards to um, this particular chapter and in, in the, in the character. When one is in love, one always begins by deceiving oneself, and one always ends by deceiving others. This is what the world calls romance. <laughs> and I read that yeah. over and over and over again. And when I look at the recent um, debate, this this particular quote, was uh, first and foremost in my mind because, you know, <laughs> are these candidates deceiving themselves that they have a chance to uh, be the nominee for their respective party? Well, it's you have... very interesting mm-hmm. that you you pick that quote because that quote, again, without giving away uh, some of the um, juicy details of the book, that quote was put in there because Bobby Fulton, his girl was uh, had a girlfriend while in Princeton, who um, who was really a big part of his life for a long, long time. And uh, that quote is in there. It's actually in chapter seven uh, because she makes a reappearance when he's running for his seat in Congress, and. It's not really a great appearance, and things don't go very, very well. So that's one of the twists and turns in this political fiction book that has a little little bit of a salacious um, part in it. So the reason that that epigraph began Chapter 7 <clears throat> was really because of, because of that. I mean, you could, you could uh, you know, tag it to other things, as you have, uh, and, and, and it's a great quote by Oscar Wilde. Uh, the epigraph in the book, which I think is on chapter 9 or 10, not, uh, I, I can't remember exactly, um, but, it's, but it's a quote of um, the English uh, poet and, and actually uh, poet laureate of England, Alfred, Lord, Lord Alfred Tennyson, and where he talks about, um, I am a part of all that I have met. And one of the reasons I put that quote in, and that relates very directly to what to, to politicians and to, to campaigns, is that when politicians run for office, particularly the president, who, you know, for over a year, you know, meets so many people all around the country, or senators or congressmen, these people really find a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. They find a lot of heartache. They find people out of jobs. They find people whose children are sick. They find all kinds of issues out there. And if you ever listen to someone who's won uh, any high elected office, they say that meeting these people and going out campaigning for many, many months or even over years, it changes them because you become a part of all that you have met. You become a part of the people who can't pay for college. You become a, a part of, of the mother who's trying to feed 
four hungry children and doesn't have an adequate job. You become a part of, of a family who, who can't get health care to provide for their family. You become part of families who have lost people in their families to violence or whatever. So I think that that is probably, um, say so myself, one of the best epigraph quotes in the book because it really does relate to what, to what politicians really, really see and feel. And uh, it, it, it's really an amazing journey for them uh, when they do campaign. So is it is it your thought? And here's the quote. It's in chapter eleven. It says, "I am a part of all that I have met. Yet right. all experience is an arch, where through gleams that untraveled world, whose margin fades forever and forever when I move." That is by Alfred Lord Tennyson. A, a phenomenal quote. And that's from his poem. That's from his poem Ulysses. Uh, that was written in the 19th century, and um, it's it's a quote that, uh, in this case, an epigraph, which begins the the, uh, the the couple chapters. It relates exactly to uh, the campaign of Bobby Fulton and how he has been changed, how he has become a part of all that he has seen and has met, and you know we all become part of our experiences. And it's very, very interesting. Wow, that is that is that is a very, very, very deep quote. But but yeah. what motivated you to take the time to write this? This really, this it, it is a such a pleasure, a joy to read um, because it it is fiction. Um, but it it has it, it it you know it touches upon our history in our in our in our country and some of the current themes that we're hearing. What motivated you to write this book? Well, I. You know, quite honestly, I, I always did want to write a book. I never knew what topic I really wanted to write about. Uh, but I also always liked politics very much. My first experience in politics, and really my only one, is I volunteered on uh, Bill Bradley's first campaign for the U.S. Senate in 1978. So some of the things that I say in the book or show in the book, I kind of recall from all of those years ago of how that campaign went. But what I really wanted to do is I wanted to write something that reaches an audience that might not normally read about politics. Usually when people write about politics, it's nonfiction. It's a, it's a typical thing where somebody's trying to sell you their point of view. And it's always the, you know, the blue or red or the conservative or liberal or the right or left point of view, the ex-president, the ex-senator, the ex-congressman, the college professor. <clears throat> you know, you know what's coming. It's very predictable and, and in a lot of cases very boring. So people, a, a lot of normal fiction readers who want to read books for pleasure, you know, and not, not for actually being told something, they, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to read that unless they're they're inclined to do so. But fiction persuades people through the story. So in this case, what I felt is that instead of somebody telling you or or lecturing you about the changes in America or about how a campaign works uh, and and all the things that are in the book, you learn about all this through the eyes and the experience of the character Bobby Fulton and then his and, the, and then the characters that build around him. So eventually you identify with him, you feel for him, maybe some people fall in love with the character, 
and that over time of reading the book, your emotions are more aroused by the storytelling, because everybody's a storyteller. So I think that fiction actually molds people more to believe a certain point of view than does nonfiction, because you get so wrapped up, emotionally wrapped up in the story, and you fall for it, and you tend to believe it. Is that because when someone is dealing with nonfiction, we're always double-checking their facts to see where there might be an aha moment that they got something wrong, and then uh, fiction, it's fiction, you know? Right, well, it's not only that, but in in nonfiction, um, you know, the... Like I said before, the the point of view is going to be very, very predictable. So if Bill Clinton writes a book and everybody goes and reads it, uh, you know that the people who believe in his um, brand of politics or, or governance, uh, you know, he's going to talk about that and they're going to they're going to agree with it or believe it. Um, now, if somebody like Rush Limbaugh on way on the other side. Uh, or when one of the pre- or the Republican presidential candidates, whether it's um, you know Jeb Bush or say Donald Trump wrote a book, you know it's going to be totally opposite. So the nonfiction reader already knows by who wrote the book which way this is going to be slanted, which way it's going to go. Whereas in fiction, while somebody reads my book, the Bobby Fulton story, and I hope I hope more people do, they're not going to really get a slant to the right or to the left, they're going to get a story about America and about American political culture of how it's changed through the 60s and all about the 1980 election, not just Bobby Fulton's, but the issues that were going around uh, in that time period and forward. And they're going to be able to make up their own minds of, of um, you know, what, what they feel, and it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be lectured to them. Wonderful, wonderful. And so what, you know, from the from the writer's voice to the reader's mind, what are you hoping that the readers will come away with? Or did you have a mo- that motivation at all? Well, what I want people to come away with is um, <clears throat> really the, the major themes kind of in the book. And one of the major themes is obviously change. So from 1963, and the book actually ends in 2010, but even 2015, it's pretty much the same. Over those that 50-year period or so, uh, there's been tremendous change in America. Uh, I talked about how Bobby Fulton grew up in a small town that was thriving in the 1960s. People were basically, it was a working-class town, a blue-collar town, um, People took care of each other. Uh, you know, people had jobs normally. The, the, the small town was thriving. Kids played baseball on a dusty field every uh, every day in the summertime and on weekends. So I wanted people to see what it was like in the beginning of this book. It talks about living in a small town in New Jersey, but it could be a small town anywhere, and how people did thrive. The, the one thing about... Uh, what the politicians talk about today is is that the middle class has really disappeared and the, there aren't many jobs. Back when Bobby Fulton was a kid in the 60s, 25% of people worked in manufacturing jobs, whether it's the oil company or, or the lumber yard or whatever. Uh, now it's 9%. So it's 
So it was a whole different time then. So I'd like people to know what the 60s were about. And then we move on to the election of 1980, where Bob actually ran for Congress in 1980, when Reagan was running for president in 1980, and what the issues were then. Uh, the country felt very weak after the loss in Vietnam. They felt weak after the Watergate issues. They felt some people felt betrayed because Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. So there's a lot of uh, angst in America. Um, the Iran uh, the Iran hostage crisis went for m- many many days, and finally, when Reagan was sworn into office, they released the hostages. But that went on for for uh, over a year. So there were a lot of crazy issues back then, and it was a turbulent time in America. And I'd like people to 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 see through the fictional story how that was, and then we go forward to the year 2010, where the story actually ends, and I want people to see how the media has changed, how they cover elections, how, how, how campaigns have changed, how style versus substance is more important than ever, which actually began in 1960, because in the book I relate, the very first televised presidential debate, debate was between Jack Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And the people who saw that debate on television thought Kennedy won because he looked good. He was, you know, he was tall. He had a tan. But Nixon looked crummy. You know, he had a five o'clock shadow. His makeup was wrong. He was sweating a little bit. So people who saw that debate on television thought Kennedy won hands down. But the same people, but the people who saw the same debate uh, or listened to the same debate on radio actually thought Nixon won. So all of that image is now magnified a thousand times fold, because now if candidates can't speak off the cuff, if candidates don't look a certain way, they can't get very far. Uh, you know, the 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 uh, newscasters or the pundits they ask um, they ask questions of candidates that really should take many many paragraphs to answer, but they're answered in canned phrases or sound bites. So. You know, I want people to see how things have changed in, in, in that way as well. And it's a dramatic change from 1960 and 1963 until 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Robert Storosiak, the author of the fiction book, The Bobby Fulton Story. It is a political page Turner, you will enjoy it. And and Robert, what is next for Bobby Fulton? Is there going to be the Bobby Fulton story uh, two, or uh, or is Bobby Fulton just going to stay where he is at the end of your book? <laughs> well, that's a very hard question to answer. Um, again, without giving away the book, uh, the book uh, ends uh, in a way where Bobby Fulton could reemerge, or Bobby Fulton could just stay where he is. Uh, as far as the author uh, writing something else about Bobby Fulton, uh, writing particularly the way I did it on a part-time basis is a very difficult thing to do, and it takes a lot of time. So right now I'm just enjoying that the book is out. I'm enjoying uh, talking about it. Uh, I hope people enjoy uh, reading it. I hope people do get it and read it. And for now, I'm just going to enjoy that and leave it at that. All right. Uh, any thoughts about uh, Bobby Fulton coming to the big screen or the little screen? Uh, HBO has done a number of uh, 
interesting <laughs> projects uh, in politics? <laughs> uh, well, I don't see any big screen in the near future, and you know, I have no plans for that. And and besides, you know, that's not for me to. Uh, to decide. I mean, if if some movie producer reads a Bobby Fulton story and thinks that it's something that could be put on the on the on the screen or even on YouTube or whatever, then that's totally out of my hands. Whatever. Excellent, excellent. And if you could, looking at the current uh, candidates that are running, uh, would you say that Bobby Fulton would resemble any one of them? Uh... No. No. The problem is, <laughs> is that. The the, the uh, campaign of Bobby Fulton was a campaign that, again, he was up against the establishment. He ran a shoestring organization, and he ran it in a very small congressional district in New Jersey, 16th Congressional District, obviously a made-up one. But it lent itself for someone with youth and the energy to go out and to really change people's hearts and minds because he was able to touch people and go, you know, door to door and make speeches and really have his message resonate throughout the district. I think that nowadays <clears throat> that's very difficult to do even on a congressional level because, you know, because of all the gerrymandering. I mean, there there really are no congressional seats that are even that are even competitive anymore. You know, congressmen and congresswomen are in for years because it's very difficult for for someone new to even even break in because of all the money in politics that has distorted the whole thing. On the presidential side, forget it. I mean, it's all about the money. It's all about the fame. It's all about the celebrity. As I said before, the style versus the substance has magnified a thousand times over. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why Trump, uh, in this Republican uh, debate, in this in, in this uh, Republican primary election, is getting some traction because he does have the money and he does have the celebrity and he does have the limelight. So, I'm afraid that the Bobby Fultons um, of long ago uh, are going to be very hard to resurrect. You know, something my wife said the other day when I, we were talking about your book and talking about what's going on with the politics of today is is that. Uh, years ago, people would try to influence someone to run versus now the candidates are running trying to convince people that they should run. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think that th- that it would be great to get back to a time where we had someone who was not, I wouldn't want to call them the reluctant leader, uh, but one that was someone who had all the requisite skill sets and knowledge and expertise, yeah. but necessarily didn't want the office, but the people around them could see that individual's right. greatness and, and pushed them to run. Hopefully, we'll get back to that. Hopefully, we will. But you know, in the final analysis, it's not up to the candidates or the parties. It really is up to all the people. If we all went out and voted, I mean, in congressional elections, in midterm elections, you could get as low as 30 or 35 percent participation. We're all at fault because nobody steps up and, and, and votes. We have the power to change things in mass. The question is if and when the American people will do that. That is so true. And imagine if if ten percent of the people who complained about what was going on actually voted, 
um, how things would be different because we would have uh, the voice of all the people. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our audience about the Bobby Fulton story? Well, um, no, I think we, we, we've uh, pretty much covered it all. You, you uh, hit on all the, all the salient points. Um, I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, the book is, is, is political fiction. And as you alluded to, it reads more like nonfiction. It talks about change in America. It's an easy story to read, as you know. It's a fun story. It's got a lot of twists and turns. And the book is available everywhere. Um, people could find it on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. If anybody would like to contact me about the book, they could do so at my email, rs at robertsdrosiak.com. I'd be glad to talk with them or uh, answer any questions about the book as well. Well, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for all of your time this morning, Robert. It's been a real pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Robert Storosiak, the author of The Bobby Fulton Story, which is a book of political fun fiction. Robert, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, if you have missed any of this broadcast or previous broadcast, please join us at iTunes U and look for Seton Hall University and the program Leadership. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.